Hi, Neil Warren here again, and welcome to another episode of the Happy Hour Harmonica podcast. With more interviews with some of the finest harmonica players around today. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and also check out the Spotify playlist where some of the tracks discussed during the interviews can be heard. A quick word from my sponsor now, the Lone Wolf Blues Company, makers of effects pedals, microphones and more, designed for harmonica. Remember, when you want control over your tone, you want Lone Wolf. Joe Felisco has made the study of the harmonica his lifelong passion. His detailed knowledge of early recordings has helped him become the preeminent pre-war harmonica player of our time. He built his knowledge of the harmonica from the inside out, producing revered custom harmonicas still used by some of the big names in harmonica today. Joe has been playing in his duo with Eric Noden since 2003 and is also a renowned harmonica tutor, both online and in workshops around the world. Joe displays his diverse harmonica skills on his latest album, Destination Unknown. Hello, Joe Felisco, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, Neil. Delighted to be here. Starting off, I was surprised to read that you were born in Germany. Is that correct? That is correct. I was born there uh, just outside of the army base in Gießen, Germany. And I was only a few months old when my parents came back here to the U.S. But my mother was a uh, German citizen until 15 years ago. She became a U.S. citizen. So you grew up around Chicago. So you live in Joliet now, is that right? That is correct. Joliet, Illinois, about an hour drive south of Chicago. And Joliet is famous in the blues world for the the prison where uh, Jake and the Blues Brothers was uh, incarcerated. Yes, it does have uh, a little bit of a blues vibe about it. So there's such a tremendous access to so much stuff being here in Chicago. Most definitely growing up on the outskirts of Chicago has benefited me uh, in countless ways. Well, as such, you didn't really draw your inspiration to play the harmonica from Chicago. Um, Only indirectly. Uh, Most of my main initial inspiration came from early recordings. And it was later on that I started to develop uh, personal relationships with uh, players that had roots in Chicago. And uh, those would be like... uh, Corky Siegel. In that time period in the late 80s and early 90s, uh, Peter Madcat Ruth very frequently was coming to Chicago. Um, I got to know Charlie Musselwhite from very early on. And uh, although not really what I would consider to be a blues player, uh, I've had a hot relationship with Howard Levy for 30 some years. Do you remember what age you were when you started playing the harmonica? I experimented with the harmonica as a youngin. There was always a few harmonicas around. My mother will say that in her mind, I was her 
German boy, and she wanted me to play the harmonica, so they were always available. I can't say that I really knew what to do with it until I was in college and became aware of the concept of second position cross harp and the concept that it was the small 10-hole diatonic harmonica that was most frequently heard in blues, and that if anyone was to pursue playing blues on the harmonica, they need to be familiar with um, the bending that took place on it. So really, it was probably the late 1980s that I really picked it up and found that I could no longer put it down do you remember what you at that stage when you started playing more seriously? What what harmonica you started playing on? Um, one of the first ones that I had that I actually spent time with was the twelve hole Marine Band three sixty four that was low tuned. I really spent uh, quite a bit of time fooling with that, playing with that, and then it was I, I don't remember what happened, but then I realized ah oh, these blues players they're really not seldom playing this low one they're playing this uh one that's an octave higher that was sort of a quite a revelation to me um i believe that when i decided i wanted to really pursue playing blues i went to the local record store and i picked up the best of little walter and the soul of the blues harmonica by Shaky Horton. Those big, uh, those big marine bands with the twelve holes. I've, I've got one of those, there, and they were the ones which Sonny Boy used on a few of his recordings, where such as I think Bye 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 Bird. Uh, that's correct. Little Walter and Big Walter, those those first two albums you picked up. Any particular song that you remember really grabbed you? Honestly, Neil, I listened to that stuff, and I was mostly baffled as to how a harmonica could produce that stuff. And having such a deficit of reasonably good information, I think I mostly just marveled at them uh, I probably could relate to the acoustic sound of what was on the uh, Walter Horton Shaky Horton record more. I don't the the amplified harmonica that Little Walter had. I think it was just mind blowing to me. I just I was like looking at some alien creature that that kind of sound could be produced on the harmonica, and then. What was probably a more significant point for me was when I stumbled upon the Yazoo record, Harmonica Blues of the 1920s and 30s. Of course, in many ways, that was just as perplexing, but I found that imitating, trying to understand the chordal, the rhythmic chordal playing of the train imitation and stuff on it. I think that that was a little bit easier for me to grasp rather than the, what I like to say, the multi-layered 
uh, multi-dimensional approach to the playing that little Walter had. You're well known for being the sort of pr- one of the preeminent uh, pre-war harmonica players around today, so being drawn to those earlier sort of what, 1920s, 1930s recordings. Clearly, that's what grabbed you early on. And Well, I think it's very important that it's understood anything that was played on the harmonica captivated me. I found that listening to D. Ford Bailey do Davidson County Blues... listening to Chuck Darling do the harmonica rag, that it made a little bit more sense to me. I I found that like I had a clearer entryway into trying to play that stuff. Uh, Little did I know how complex it was also. It it is just as difficult and multi-layered, but I felt like I had a bit more of an invitation into that stuff. I also spent time at the library checking out any record that I could get my hands on that seemed to have harmonica in it. And I happened upon the record, The Great Harmonica Players, I think. On that document record, there was the cuts, Maccabee's Railroad Piece and Lost Boy Blues by Palmer Maccabee. And both of those cuts uh, deeply intrigued me. I really felt like, wow, this is absolutely amazing, uh, playing. I, I, I think more than anything, it was listening to that stuff, especially the lost boy blues. That I felt like helped me to understand the role and the purpose of the tongue blocking technique when playing the harmonica, because it was really so clear and so blatant how he was playing a melody out of the right corner of his mouth and creating this chordal rhythmic accompaniment out of the left side of his mouth. Um, Those were very, very, very influential tunes for me to be picking apart. You're, you're well known particularly for um, doing a great train on the harmonica. And you... Again, this early style of harmonica and obviously the imitation of trains is a, is a key part of that. What is it about the train, you know, that thing works so well in the harmonica? Well, it is definitely quite a magical, serendipitous thing. Something as enormous as a train could be recreated on something as small and unassuming as a diatonic harmonica. But it's just a happenstance of the way that it's tuned that it works. It is really striking to people to be able to pull that out and recreate that and and see the stunned look on their faces that something as small as a harmonica could do that. Uh, So I really just found that that was a really captivating thing. And 
invested considerable time earlier on in my playing, uh, trying to imitate and recreate many of these harmonica train imitations. In one regard, playing the train on the harmonica in a simple manner is maybe one of the very easiest things that you could possibly do uh, for anybody. When I teach, the harmonica train imitation is always the starting point for introducing the diatonic harmonica to beginners, because as long as they can breathe, they can play the harmonica train imitation. And Di Fabelia, you mentioned there. So I understand you were uh, you played a piece when Di Fabelia was um, added to the, the Blues Hall of Fame. Uh, that was actually the Country Music Hall of Fame, and I was uh, invited, and it was a tremendous honor to play the, his fox chase in front of uh, his remaining family and all these legends in country music. Uh, it was probably one of the most nervous uh, moments that I've ever had in my life. <laughs> solo piece for you then as well. Yeah, solo, unaccompanied harmonica. Uh, great and great that, you know, as you say, an, an early harmonica player got that recognition as well. Uh, on the recordings of these early harmonica players, have you found more recordings during your research? Because the ones that, that I have is, you know, maybe two or three at the most. Um, I believe that everything or nearly everything that was record recorded early on has been released on the document uh, records label. Uh, country music is a little different. So there are some recordings, for example, of one of D. Ford Bailey's contemporaries by the name of Kyle Wooten, which it, it's a little trickier to track down all of his, I think it's uh, eight recordings that he did. Finishing off on the topic of the your sort of your in-depth knowledge of the of the history, then I mean, have you any plans to do any more with this? I think what I'm doing currently is distilling all the uh, tr the work that I've done, listening and transcribing, and basically creating uh, study songs uh, for that help give people an inroads to developing technique and understanding what takes place, whether it be Chicago blues or Cajun music or old time music in the style of D Ford Bailey or Sonny Terry. I'm just trying to create material for players to, yeah. uh, you know, proceed wisely to develop the right sound. I remember when I sat down and really decided to listen very carefully to that harmonica blues of the 20s and 30s. And I, I listened to the whole thing, asking the question in my head the whole time, is this player tongue blocking or is this player using the pursing puckering technique to get this? I mean, I've really been asking that question and listening with a very fine-tuned discerning ear trying to figure out what is needed in order to play these sounds and these styles and it's it's a really important question because if somebody their relationship with the harmonica is from a clean single note puckering approach they are going to have a devil of a time trying to play any songs by D. Ford Bailey or Kyle Wooten or or Big Walter or Sonny Boy Williamson for that matter. So I'm I'm really 
trying to figure out how to point people in the right direction from the very, very beginning. I think you're leaving a great, uh, you know, a great body of work. For, you know, on your, lots of YouTube's videos um, where you are showing those, and that's a great way to keep those sounds alive and how they, those techniques that those guys used. Did they have very different techniques? Do you do you see big differences in the way that D. Ford Bailey played, say, to Little Walter or Sonny Boy? They all those players that you mentioned, they all had tremendous varied technique. What I mean by that is different ways that they use their tongue. Um, In a player like the Chicago players, they tended to have more of an explosive percussive attack uh, in their playing, the way that they use the tongue blocking to make that leap out, make that jump out. That doesn't tend to be a stylistic thing that you would get when you Listen carefully to somebody like D. Ford Bailey. His playing is much more subtle. Uh, but then again, he was a solo, unaccompanied player, so he didn't really uh, necessarily need to fight with a band to be heard. I mean, I've done got a lot of harmonica transcriptions myself, and uh, I'm interested in, in what you're saying there about how you unraveled, you know, how the techniques they were playing. It's really mostly just listening and listening and listening. Um, You know, I was really taken by the interview you did with Paul Lamb, listening to him talk about the time that he spent really trying to understand the sound, the depth of sound, listening to Sonny Terry. It's it's really the same thing. And trying to develop a, a mental picture of what's going on and then imitating. Most people would be really... Uh, shocked to see the hundreds of detailed transcriptions that I have predominantly of the Chicago style players, the little, little Walter, big Walter, you know, Rice Miller. And when you really listen very carefully with like, if your ear was a microscope, you really hear the tongue blocking layers and tongue blocking subtleties that are in those players. That's a really important part of understanding what somebody like Big Walter or Rice Miller was doing when they're in their playing, understanding how tricky they were about using chords. These transcriptions you've written, are they all written on paper? They are. So I've done a, uh, a website called heartranscripts.co.uk where I've written a number of transcriptions into the program transcribe, um, which you can only go so far. I mean, as you'll know, doing lots of transcriptions, it's it's very hard to kind of writing down the subtleties. How do you describe all these very subtle noises that are made on the harmonica? Does that obviously point the way that you so predominantly where you learn the harmonica is, you know, is obviously listening to other players, you know, working out what they did, obviously in very close detail. Would you say, like many harmonica players, that's the way you've learned? Yes, it by really detailed listening, recording myself, listening to myself, listening to the recording, just going back and forth. I, I, I would say that may appear to be a tremendous benefit to have been able to sit down and take a lesson with somebody like Big Walter. But I also know many people that have talked with Big Walter about how he plays and it is my opinion that he has given people very confusing information. I think that he really, uh, him and other players, have not always been truthful about answering questions, how they do things. 
And there's also this aspect that I think a lot of players like that don't know how to put into words what it is they're doing. If you ask them about what tongue blocking is, I'm not really sure that it means the same thing to a player like that that's been doing it intuitively his whole life as it would mean to a player like me. I think you you can also be really confused by taking the literal words from players like that. I first saw you play in the NHL Festival in, in Bristol in 2006. Uh, it was a fantastic performance. I'll put a few, um, one or two of the YouTube links up on, onto the description for the podcast so people can check that out. And I think a lot of it was down to what you've already talked about is that ability playing solo, you know, with all the chordal accompaniment yourself and multi-layer kind of textures to the rhythms. I'm happy to hear that. I'm definitely happy to hear that. <laughs> so now you, you mainly play in a duo with Eric Nolden, who I think you've been playing with since 2003. Correct. So you think you've got four albums out now with Eric? There might be more. I, I haven't really counted them all. We had the live album where we did standards, and then our first record of all originals was IC Special, and then we had Missed Train, and then uh, On the Move, we released at the same time with a band record. It came out as the Eric Noden Band, although there's harmonica on all the cuts, and I did write one of the songs on it. That was called Solid Ground. And then our most recent duo record, which we actually recorded ourselves with one stereo mic, Destination Unknown. The IC Special album, which I enjoyed a lot. Some some great songs on there as well. Are there, are there a few songs on there that you that are self-written, such as uh, "Angry Woman"? I'm thinking, and "No One Gets Out of Here Alive." Were there songs that you wrote yourself? That's correct. Great, great lyrics to those. And then one with the band, is, is that you playing Amplified with the band and that Eric, Eric Norden band one? I think there's more Amplified uh, than Acoustic, but there are a few cuts where I'm blowing Acoustic Harp. So you're playing mainly in a duo. You're favoring the duo setup, I take it, to put your acoustic playing um, you know, in its best light, and that's what you like to do. It's hard to say why. I think Eric and I, we really have tremendous chemistry together as a duo, and it's easy to travel as a duo. When we play local, maybe the last two or three years, believe it or not, we, we have a bunch of fairly regular kind of restaurant gigs that we do. Uh, and we actually have been using very often a drummer, uh, of which that would be uh, Kenny BDI Smith. And he really uh, upgrades uh, what it is we're doing. And we did play as a trio at the Chicago Blues Festival just a few years back. But I don't think we are anticipating going on the road and doing any gigs with Kenny Smith. 
do you do much work as a sideman with other with other bands? I, I don't. I really I find that uh, keeping my energy focused on the duo that I'm doing with Eric, I really feel like that's the best thing for me to do. And uh, with Eric, um, you with Eric Norden, you've done uh, a few live online concerts um, before the time of uh, of uh, COVID nineteen. So uh, you're obviously ahead of the game there. Uh, are you are you able to do some planning to do any more, or I don't know if you're able to meet up with Eric at this point? Uh, we're trying to figure that out, Neil. Uh, we did. We had this thing where, like, roughly every once a month, we would do this uh, online concert through this platform called Concert Window. But regrettably, that site closed. So we're definitely trying to reinvent how we go about doing online stuff. We are trying to figure something out, trying to get our head around this new technology and how we can best use it to serve our creative musical purposes been successful with Eric you, you know you've toured around certainly over to Europe and obviously playing in the Chicago Blues Festival as you say there uh, have you any advice for anybody who's coming up about you know with their own band or a duo about how you know how to succeed how to get gigs how to get ahead playing as a duo is the least popular thing that you could ever pursue uh, you'd be better off trying to pursue a gig playing as a solo artist than as a duo. I don't say this really with any bitterness. I I actually say it with a a sense of humor. Uh, The reason for that is that venues tend to have their concert series figured out for either solo acts or bands. When they're confronted with a duo, this is a perplexing thing. They, They they don't want to pay a duo what they would have or what they have budgeted to pay a band. And we don't want to play for what they have budgeted for paying a, a solo act. So a duo is pretty tricky to deal with in many venues. For me, I do immensely love playing in the duo because it gives me the absolute maximum room to play as much as I want. To my ears, a lot of people pursue playing a duo mainly from a Chicago blues standpoint that always leaves me a little bit discouraged because there really isn't a precedent for a Chicago blues duo Chicago the Chicago blues genre music is predominantly a band configuration not a duo configuration so the role of the harmonica doesn't quite fit if you take it out of a Chicago blues configuration and try to insert it into a duo generally what eric and i do is mimic many of the great duo players the duos of the past and those would be sonny terry and brownie mcgee the duo stuff that john lee williamson did maybe with big bill brunzi or did with big joe williams the duo work that johnny woods did with fred mcdowell is I in my opinion some of the most overlooked uh duo work that there is and plus also some of the stuff from the old timey 
genre of music. There's, we're really trying to capture a lot of flavors of what a duo can do, but the role of the harmonica is quite difficult because of the rhythmical demands and uh, being playing rhythmically throughout the whole entire song can be quite the challenge. Uh, I guess all that being said, what the harmonica does in a duo is really different most of the time than what the harmonica does in a Chicago blues band. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear you say that. I mean, I, I prefer the duo format as well, like you say, because it gives you that space. You've got you know more variability. And as much as anything, you're not competing with an electric guitar and, and loud drums and bass. So you, are you never tempted to to go out more solo then given the fact that i was saying earlier on your solo concert in uh, bristol in 2006 was was tremendous do you uh, obviously like to play with eric uh it is so rewarding to play with eric there's something about the sound of harmonica and guitar blended together that is magical the i just don't think there's a big audience for unaccompanied solo harmonica playing then the biggest problem the biggest challenge is is that if i go to sing, then the rhythm section suddenly disappears unless I'm stomping my foot and snapping my fingers. Uh, That's one of the real drawbacks about pursuing something as a solo, unaccompanied harmonica act. Although I have entertained the idea from time to time. You're obviously famous for becoming a harmonica customizer. You started customizing um, harmonicas and that sort of led you to know some of the some of the great players around America at the time. And that, that sort of opened some doors for you. Is that right? That is exactly right. Most certainly. And I definitely have used that and exploited it. Uh, anytime I have questions about advanced harmonica things or techniques, if I know somebody who uh, may have some real good insight on that i do not hesitate to check in with them about that you were a machinist were you before you uh, at that stage when you started um tinkering with harmonicas i am trained as a machinist and i also have uh, artisan in my blood i i am very good with my hands at building fixing crafting and creating things Clearly, at this point, you loved the harmonica, yeah. So it was just a case of marrying your job at the time with your passion for harmonica to, to, to make the harmonica work better. Yes, this is exactly right. And so then you got to know some of the big names in America um, and you started customizing the harmonicas for them, uh, Kim Wilson, Jerry Portnoy. You know, that, that opened some doors for you, did it? Or is it just to get, get your relationship with them that you could start picking their brains? Um, all the above, really. I would have to say, I have to go back and... And remind folks that when I started playing, there was such an amazing deficit of good information. There had only been a couple of books that were written, and some of them were just full of wrong information about how to play the harmonica. At least having a relationship with someone that was really, really, really clearly good at playing it increased the possibility that I would be able to understand how to go about being a better player myself. There is definitely a tremendous value in sitting five feet away from somebody who's very skilled as a player and realizing, oh, that sound is not a recording trick. It's not a special harmonica. It's, it, is, it actually can be recreated right there in front of your face on a regular old harmonica. So I've always been trying to get to a deeper understanding 
of how the harmonica is played and how the harmonica works always. Theme of these these podcast conversations is definitely going along the line as you know when when uh, when I grew up, um, we didn't have all these resources as you just said, and now we've, there's endless resources with the internet. I'm almost torn to think, well, is it a good thing having all those resources? Because in a way, you have too many resources that you don't maybe you don't focus on things in the same way. I guess it's how you use it here, but I mean, any thoughts on that? There's no substitute to going back to the classic recordings and listening and trying to transcribe. So for me, I couldn't take lessons uh, from somebody that was really doing it the way that I wanted. But I did have many players tell me, oh, you know, you really want to get to the bottom of that. You know, you got to be listening to Little Walter. You got to be listening to Rice Miller. You got to listen to Big Walter. And so at least I knew what was the the best stuff that was ever recorded. And I did the homework really getting to the bottom of it and really trying to have an understanding of it. Uh, Nowadays, uh, folks uh, can pay a small amount of money a month and have total access to all the videos and all the information that are on Dave Barrett's site, bluesharmonica.com, which I highly recommend. Another thing I see is there is an overwhelming amount of information available for free if you surf the YouTube channel about how to play the harmonica. And a staggering amount of it is also incorrect or is telling you things that are only half truths. So people do have, they have access to an overwhelming amount of opinions from people. And so it's really easy to become very, very confused as to what approach do I do? How do I go about doing this when all these people are saying all these different things? Going back briefly to your your custom harmonicas, you uh, kind of famously made these tremendous custom harmonicas, which now you have a a team of three guys um, making those. They're still available, aren't they, made from those guys? The Honer Affiliated Customizer Program, I would encourage anybody that really wants to have access to one of the best harmonicas made to really check out any of those guys. There's more than three um, on that Honer Affiliated site. Uh, These guys have really gone through the test. Uh, They have established solid, reputable businesses on their own, and they really are committed to taking the harmonica and making it as high performance as it can be made. You don't offer your own custom harmonicas yourself anymore? I am not taking on any new work. I'm still committed to taking care of the old customers that I've been doing business with for years. And it's just, it's better for me to take care of them than it is for me to spread myself too thin. And I know you encourage people, you know, maybe some people listening to, to certainly learn the basics yourself, you know, how to tune, you know, how to emboss and gap the harmonica. These are things I do myself and I, and I definitely see really improve a harmonica by, by doing a few simple things, uh, you know, yourself, can't you? Um, the the simplest thing I think is probably the tuning of it, and I always try to encourage people to not be too shy about that kind of thing. You can certainly get a little bit more life out of a harmonica or and better 
quality music out of a harmonica if you know how to adjust the tuning. That so I do encourage folks to uh, not be too timid about that. I know you like to uh, tune your chords very uh, specifically, don't you, to get uh, to get the chords sounding just as you like them. I do. This is very true. I love the triad. Uh, the chord triad to be as perfectly in tune as possible. And it only makes sense uh, if you listen to my playing, you hear lots of chords in it generally. And of course, that also holds true about the octaves and intervals. The, The octaves that are available on the diatonic harmonica have to be in tune. uh, Otherwise, uh, you know, I'll drive myself crazy. Do you follow any of the tuning, uh, forget the exact names, is the just intonation and things? Is there any particular one that you, you follow? The one that I use, I thought it was called 19 Limit Just Intonation. I think that's what the technical name is. Richard Slay has information available about how to do basic work on your harmonica, and I believe that his website is hotrodharmonicas.com. You won Spa Player of the Year in 2001. Uh, how was that? Was there a ceremony and, and all those good things? Oh, it was just a little announcement. And, you know, they had me come up and congratulated me. And it, it was at the end of the big event, the big uh, convention that they have once a year on the Saturday night. So I'm very grateful for that honor great yeah so was there any particular um reason that year you won it the first year that i went to a spa event was 1990 and i was just so flabbergasted and overwhelmed with excitement that i was having contact and exposure to all these immensely immensely talented and enthusiastic people and this included the older generation of players, the Harmonicats generation of players. And it was so life-changing for me that I really started to get involved deeper and deeper myself in trying to uh, volunteer and try to put things together to make the event as memorable for other people as I possibly could. And, And I guess I have to believe that uh, they recognized that in me and decided to pay me that honor. We talked about your playing style. You know, it's very strong acoustically, lots of chordal, full sound, rhythmical. In some of the uh, solo pieces I've seen you doing, you you, you do some uh, good tribute sort of uh, songs, such as the Big Walls. And Sonny Terry, we, we touched on Sonny Terry earlier on a little bit. We, we talked to Paul Lamb in the first one. Sonny, uh, Paul Lamb, is fantastic exponents of the Sonny Terry style. And, and like you said, he spent many years uh, perfecting that and he's, he's really got it down great. But yourself, I think, you know, you're, you're probably up there with Paul um, on the Sonny Terry uh, approach. Any, any words about how to get that sound, the Sonny Terry style? Sure. I'm very honored that you would put me up there with Paul. I think that he really has a spooky connection to the sound and tone and approach of Sonny Terry. Some tips that I could give people about Sonny Terry is, number one, that he did not use tongue blocking in a conventional way. Uh, He is what I would consider to be a narrow tongue uh, blocker, that he used rather a pointy tongue. This is really 
made clear when you listen to Sonny Terry do his shake technique, this real moving his tongue laterally, uh, quickly side to side. Uh, if your tongue is touching the harmonica, then you're tongue blocking. And that would be an example of Sonny Terry tongue blocking. But you don't hear octave intervals in Sonny Terry's playing. Uh, this is one thing that you hear nearly in all other players, but not in Sonny Terry. He also used tone very in a very demanding way. He could play really up in the front of his mouth and create this very sharp, piercing tone. Uh, I believe that that is a byproduct of Sonny Terry going back to having to play on the streets and having to be heard over a crowd uh, having a deep, warm, resonant, round tone is not going to do a player any good if nobody can hear them in an acoustic setting. Sonny Terry also was unbelievably masterful at what I think of as playing with dirt. Nowadays, people greatly simplify it and say that a player is using double stops, playing two notes at once. I hear Sonny Terry as being the player that blurred the line between a clean single note and a chord. He would play all these little variations of a clean single note with 5% of the next adjacent hole or 25% or 50% or 75% of the next adjacent hole. He was really masterful at that aspect in his playing. And this is one of the things that makes him so difficult to comprehend because we uh, collectively as a culture try to comprehend things mainly based off of like a piano. And you can't play a split key on a piano like how you can play split notes uh, on the harmonica. So like a rhythm played like this... There's like this mixture of clean notes, a variety of dirty notes, and chord playing in it that I hear in Sonny Terry's playing. And it's very difficult to notate in normal, typical terms. And I think maybe last that the percussive technique that Sonny Terry had in Chicago blues, you'd hear this kind of... Well, you don't really hear Sonny Terry play in that sort of way. It, it, it's it's there, but it's very different. You know, he'll, he'll have... It's a lot more subtle in there and a much more dirty quality to it when you listen to how he uses it in his playing. But it's very, very unlike the typical Chicago blues players. So those are a, a few yeah. little insights into Sonny Terry. Yeah, Sometimes it's better to think of what he didn't do. I wanted to ask you about Amazing Grace. I know, that, I know that's another song close to your heart and another song which has got some magical quality on the harmonica. So Amazing Grace, you, did, you played a version of it in that concert in Bristol in 2006.
and you play it in, in five keys on the G harmonic. And that's something that I've learned myself from your recording. It's a tremendous exercise in, in, in accurate bending. Uh, I mean, anything about that song, Amazing Grace, and this, this way that you're playing those five positions. I think the positions are um, 12 position, second position, fourth position, 11th position, and first position, if I've got that right. I don't know if you've got them memorized. That sounds correct to me. Uh, I guess, what can I say? I have been tremendously influenced by the chromatic approach of a player like Howard Levy, uh, tremendously influenced. Uh, so playing bending and using it in a very sexy, sensual, emotional way is something that I just love. I, I can't say enough about how powerful that that is. And I think in many ways, I'm trying to get that point across in the song, but also not turn my back on the interval capabilities, chordal capabilities, and other capabilities that are just inherent to the way that the diatonic harmonica is tuned. I'm always going back and, you know, asking the question, what special thing can I do in this heart position that makes it magical, not not sterilizing it and just playing everything as a clean single note melody. I'm looking for those little hidden gems that are hopefully will show themselves in the way the harmonica is tuned. Uh, you mentioned Howard Levy there, but I don't believe that you play overblows yourself, do you? I, I do. I, I most certainly do. But I, I guess that it seems to me there's almost like a, spe a secret handshake that a lot of modern harmonica players have between each other in that if you use overblows, then you've sort of uh, have advanced to like a, a higher a higher degree of evolution. And it really, it irritates me because the the sound of overblows is the weakest sound, in my opinion, that the diatonic harmonica makes. It's the thinnest and weakest sounding of the clean single notes that the diatonic harmonica makes. Now, having an extra clean single note and having the ability to play chromatically can be really valuable at times. And I'm, I'm fully aware of that. And anybody that is closely monitored my playing and how I play can see that I'm not afraid to incorporate that in. I just always try to minimize it because I feel like I'm not doing it as a badge of honor. I'm doing it because there's no other possible way to make that note happen in the music. And I, I really can't fake the note. I want the note, so I'm going to use it. I, I try not to call too much attention to that because the chordal interval octave part of the diatonic harmonica tuning is infinitely more interesting and compelling to me than making it play a chromatic lick. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely right. And I think if you use, when you need those notes to play some overblows, it works, isn't it? But if you do it too much to my ears, I'm not a big fan of it. But obviously, someone like Howard Levy is an absolute master. Do you play any chromatic at all? It's a um, chromatic harmonica. Almost never. I sat down with a one of my ACE students in the last six months, and we were listening carefully to a little Walter 
chromatic harmonica solo in one of the Muddy Waters songs, Don't Go No Further. I was really delighted to hear how little Walter actually playing more than four hole splits. I was hearing him do five hole splits on the chromatic and using the chromatic button quite a bit in that song also, which I think people just assume that he never uses the button. But other than in stuff like that, I I don't tend to ever bring it out in a show, in a concert. A question I'm asking each time, if you had 10 minutes to practice, what would you spend those 10 minutes doing? Well, my favorite harmonica exercise is the train imitation. You can never have good enough rhythm. You can never have big enough tone. You can never have enough breath control and breath support in your playing. You got to love the sound of those harmonica chords being played. So the harmonica train imitation, uh, that's where I'm always going back to. And I've actually been challenging my students these days to go back and revisit that to help overcome certain challenges in their own playing. Talking about your teaching, you have a, um, a YouTube channel, I think the, the Felisco Harmonica Method, which uh, I think you started five years ago, 148 videos when I, when I looked at it yesterday. You've got the recent set of um, different ways to play uh, when the Saints go marching in. So I think that you've got eight different styles to play that. I'll, I'll post a link to that up there as well. So yeah, a great approach. Some of, the, some of the ones we've talked about, obviously playing Chicago style, playing Sunny Terry, but also playing Cajun, which you're, which you're very, um, I know you like playing Cajun harmonic and old time. And I was interested on the, on the videos on the, when the Saints, what is that can that you're holding when you're playing? Uh, it's basically a resonator, uh, a way to get around having to create resonance with two hands and just be able to create resonance with one hand. Yeah, because I notice you are only playing with one hand all the time in the in these songs. So is that that's partly down to the can that you're holding? Yes. Uh, if you really go into the details of my teaching approach, I really encourage students to spend a bulk of their practice holding the harmonica with one hand, which enables uh, everyone to breathe in a more effortless way. It also has allows students to have a better posture. Most people, when they hold the harmonica with two hands, they end up slouching or raising their shoulders. Uh, I'm really just trying to rethink things. And I can't, in good faith, tell students to hold the harmonica with one hand if they're realizing that I'm not doing it. Oh, that's really interesting, yeah. That's because obviously there's a lot of talk around, you know, your cupping technique and all the sounds you can make with two hands. So it's very interesting that you you feel that's something that you know we maybe should re re look at. Yes. And so the can that you're holding is that something that you just made yourself, or is it is it particular is it particularly a product or junk gar- garbage? It's a tomato paste can or any anything that is of that similar sort of diameter it's the diameter of a slightly smaller bullet style a microphone and it really does make a big difference and and i think it's visually uh, a lot more pleasant to look at a harmonica player that you can actually see the harmonica and see most of their face as opposed to two hands obscuring a great percentage of their face 
Yeah, and the, and the harmonica war by Rolly Platt, he's, he's got a similar idea, but obviously that's bigger, isn't it? And that's that's a different idea because that's something which has got an open end, doesn't it? And that's something that, he, you know, he's particularly trying to get a war effect, whereas that is just something which is resonating the sound more that you're using, isn't it? I think that what Rolly has uh, does a fantastic job resonating the sound. My idea is more that I'm trying to give people an inroads to capturing that resonance of holding the harmonica skillfully with two hands and and enable them to do that by holding the the harmonica and the can skillfully with one hand i mean you're well known for uh, giving harmonica workshops you you have one i think you regularly contribute to in the u.s which is the old-time school of folk music is that around chicago that is in chicago correct and i've been there teaching uh since 92 you go over to Trossingen, where you do the Harmonica Masters Workshop pretty much every year, of course, and then you come to the UK regularly. So talking gear, what's your harmonica of choice? I believe you play Honers. You're an endorsee for Honer. Yes, definitely. Uh, any manifestation of the Honer Marine Band, the original 1896, the Marine Band Deluxe, the crossover. Um, I've even been known to play the Special 20, which is basically a plastic marine band. Uh, I like the shape, the feel. Uh, that is my go-to harmonica, the Honer Marine Band. Uh, and the Thunderbird, of course, you, you helped design design that when it was brought out a few years ago. And I think, I think you contributed to the cover plate. That is correct. They ended up using my conical lower cover plate design to avoid having that annoying reed rattling sound on the lowest notes. So yeah, I have a few Thunderbirds. I've seen you talking about playing low tunes. They are quite a different beast, aren't they? You know, they're a lot quieter. It's hard to bend them. It's hard to get, you know, real bite out of them. I've seen you using this term head tone, talking about playing the low tune ones. How do you use them yourself and any tips how to play them? Well, it's a different beast. If you get a really low tuned harmonica and you approach it with the same mindset that you have for playing a standard tuned harmonica, you might end up being very disappointed. On a lot of the lower ones, I may use them and not bend notes. I may just use them to for chordal interval sounds. Uh, on the new record, I think I used a low D harmonica three or four times. It just was kind of a coincidence that that worked out. Uh, I did a lot of stuff on the high end of the harmonica, kind of like playing uh, straight harp blues in the key of D on the whole six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. And that's, I think, a more pleasant sound than a standard D harmonica playing up high like that. It is really a different beast. You have to rethink things. It's not a harmonica that you should feel like you need to be able to bend all the notes on it. That's not the way that I personally approach playing it. Do you have a favorite key of harmonica? I'm, I'm going to preempt to here, and I'm going to guess that I know that it's G. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think, again, that, that would go down to, you know, your chordal playing, you know, your, uh, your rhythmical playing. Is, is that the reason you favor that one? 
it, it might just relate that for many years, a G harmonica was the lowest widely available key harmonica that anybody could get. So a lot of those vintage harmonica recordings are done on a G harmonica or an A harmonica. And so I just feel really comfortable in that range. And it is definitely my go-to one for sure. Talking about uh, amplifiers and microphones, clearly you're more of an acoustic player. So any particular amps that you use, or at least maybe talking about your acoustic your acoustic sound, maybe and what, what you use for that? I have always made anywhere from 25 to 50% of the songs that I do with Eric as amplified, just to break things up. There are certain energy level in some of the songs we do that I don't feel like I can capture standing in front of a stationary uh, vocal mic and, and projecting. So playing those amplified is really important. My main go-to amp is this old Harmony amp with a six-inch speaker uh, that's an old tube amp. It's a very, very small tube amp, maybe one of the smallest tube amps that was ever made. And it really works well with the acoustic guitar that Eric's playing. It's got a mighty sound, but it doesn't overpower. And that is really what you hear on all the amplified recordings are nearly all the amplified recordings that Eric and I've done. And I don't tend to use it as much when we gig. We've been doing more restaurant sort of gigs where the music isn't the main thing. It's not a listening audience. And then I've been using this ZT Lunchbox Junior amp, which is a very small solid state amp that's pretty loud. It actually doesn't sound that good as a harmonica amplifier, but it's loud and I, I can make it sound pretty damn good through my the technique that I have. And it has that extra bonus of being replaceable and very small and very portable, much more portable than the other amp. So you don't really play for a big amp then, again, you don't really need the sort of bass or anything like that in the sort of uh, style of music that you're playing, well, mainly because it's a duo. Correct. Uh, any particular microphones that you're using? My favorite microphone shell is the Astatic T3. If you watch videos of Eric and I playing, you'll notice that in most of the songs, I also spend a significant part of the amplified playing holding the microphone with one hand. And I bring my other hand up for that, for that real big money note when I really want to get the biggest sound possible. A static T3 shell, I I have found, is the most friendly for holding the harmonica mic with one hand only. And I, I heard you talking about uh, about the best microphones that work, and you mentioned the Bayer's um, 610 double ribbon microphone. Uh, I do use that. I do own one, but I have not used it in a long time. 
it's more important for me now to have one mic that sounds good, both with the harmonica and both with my singing voice. I don't have a real powerful singing voice. So generally, the sound man has to turn the treble up a little bit on the EQ and roll the bass off a little bit on the EQ. Most people that play acoustic harmonica know that that seems like a dangerous combination because the harmonica is already trebly enough. So I have to overcompensate with my hand technique to make sure that the harmonica isn't harsh in terms of its trebliness uh, in order to make my voice cut through and my voice to come through clear when I'm singing. Do you use any effects pedals? No, never. Eric and I, we really try not to put any effects on anything that we're doing. We try to really recreate that front porch sound as, as natural as possible. Well, thank you very much, Joe. You're very welcome. That's it for today, folks. Final word from my sponsor, the Lone Wolf Blues Company, providing some great effects pedals and microphones, all purpose-built for the harmonica. Be sure to check out their website. Of my kitchen, stay out of my kitchen. I don't mind if you look.